really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. As always, I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you would like to get in touch, well, you know what? I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. Well, there was a positively stupid amount of rugby happening this weekend, including the start of season six of Major League Rugby. So, friends, let's dive right in. So as always, we start with our current updates. And you know what? This week, the current updates are going to stay with news about this very podcast. So last week, I asked all of you to get in touch and advise me what to do about the insane amount of rugby on our immediate horizon. Um, several of you reached out. I really do appreciate that. The verdict, of course, was incredibly evenly mixed. Uh, but so for this week, at least, the plan is just to keep on keeping on, see how it goes time-wise. Next week, of course, is going to bring more Six Nations and the addition of Super Rugby Pacific. So we're going to have to change things up at least a little bit. My my thinking as of this recording is newer competitions just getting started, along with competitions that maybe are wrapping up a little bit or nearing their ends, will get preferential treatment just in order to keep the weekly show to a reasonable length. Uh, I'm also permanently moving the recording to Tuesday evenings, which will reduce my own stress levels as well as giving me a chance to sort of finish up with anything that I might have missed over the weekend. So I am still actively seeking your suggestions. If you have thoughts you haven't yet shared, do me a favor and definitely let me know. It's too good. People have to know. I'd say it is good news this week, Isa. At least it is for the women's game in England, which hopefully will set a precedent of some sort. So quoting here from the BBC, quote, England women's rugby players are now entitled to 26 fully uh, 26 weeks fully paid maternity leave, as well as funds for children to travel to games with them. The RFU's maternity, pregnant uh, parent, and adoption leave policy will, quote, normalize motherhood, unquote, says pregnant lock Abby Ward. Pregnant players will be supported to start other employment within rugby. Ward said the policy will, quote, give players the best possible chance of returning to play, unquote, after having a baby. So in February 2022, it was announced that players in the top two tiers of women's football in England would get full pay for the first 14 weeks of maternity leave. The majority of England women's international rugby players have had professional contracts since 2019, but the RFU did not previously have a maternity policy designed specifically for players. The new policy was created with the uh, Rugby Players Association and the input of the players themselves. England Prop and RPA representative Vicky Cornborough described the announcement as, quote, a game-changing moment, unquote. Cornborough uh, explained how the three-year process, quote, looked quite extensively at different sports and looked for inspiration from other unions, unquote. In particular, they looked closely at the New Zealand Rugby Union's policy for the Black Ferns. Quote, within their culture of being a family-inclusive environment, 
I think that was a good benchmark for us to build on that, she said. Um, sorry, uh, that was the end of that quote. Um, Players who are selected within 12 months of giving birth or adopting a child will now have travel and accommodation costs covered for children under 12 months old and a support person to join them at games or on training camps. An RFU statement added there will be a similar provision made for any player who would prefer for their infant to remain in the home environment. I got to say, I was pretty delighted to read this piece. Uh, You know, really seems like a major shift, like a, you know, on a macro level, just an attitude shift that's really important. Um, Did I have to look incredibly hard to find good news this week? Yeah, you're darn straight I did. So that, of course, brings us to our thoughts of the week. And, you know, it, it may seem odd. In fact, it definitely is odd. But my thoughts this week... We're on Eddie Jones, the new Wallabies coach. So already he's been doing Eddie Jones things, getting his barbs in with the media. For instance, just recently saying New Zealand has, quote, the best three academies in rugby, Samoa, Fiji and Tonga, unquote. And, uh, you know, his move back to Australia has already added spice to the upcoming Super Rugby campaign starting this very weekend. So I found a headline about how his return will potentially open up doors for forgotten Wallabies. And quoting here from angelfire.com slash rugby pass, Quote, Rugby Australia's decision to replace Dave Rennie with Eddie Jones ahead of this year's World Cup could breathe new life into the test careers of some fallen stars. Wallabies coach Eddie Jones has revealed that his return to Australian shores could open up some opportunities for players who thought they had missed out on selection. Queensland's uh, Red Star Harry Wilson recently spoke about how the coaching change had given him hope of a Wallabies uh, recall after being dropped by Dave Rennie last year. But the loose forward isn't the only player dreaming of Wallaby gold. Waratah's enforcer Lachlan Swinton hasn't played for the Wallabies in over a year after injuring his right shoulder in the opening round of Super Rugby Pacific last season. The devastating injury, which ended his season before it had really begun, seemingly saw him fall down the pecking order at blindside flanker. But Swinton told Rugby Pass that, quote, everyone's on a level playing field now, unquote, that uh, now that legendary coach Jones is in charge and he might be right, too. So speaking on SEN Breakfast, Jones said that while history has a part to play in selection decisions, his arrival could open the doors for players to return to international rugby. Quote, but it also, with a new coach coming in, it also opens up opportunities for players who thought maybe they had missed out and haven't been working as hard as they can uh, can to do a little bit more hard work and find a way to be a little bit better, unquote. Eddie Jones is box office. There's no denying that. The legendary coach is exactly what Australian rugby needs as the sport looks to return to its former glory. The 63-year-old is not shying away from the fact that Australian rugby wasn't what it used to be. Jones coached the Wallabies to a World Cup final on home soil 20 years ago when rugby was arguably a top three winter code down under. Having returned to Australia after stints with South Africa, Japan, and England, what? He was the coach for England? Uh, Jones is eager to help the Wallabies return to winning ways both on and off the field. Quote, We've definitely dropped off in popularity, he added. I came out with England last year, and we had our first test in Perth, and I spent a little bit of time with former Australian cricket coach Justin Langer. One of the things he said was, You never hear about the Wallabies anymore. You hear about teams when they win. You hear about teams when they do good things in the community. So we've got to do a lot of winning and more in the community. One of the things is uh, when we've got the Melbourne test, we'll definitely come down and spend the week in Melbourne so we can connect to the people down there. Unquote. The Wallabies are set to play two test matches on home soil this season, including a Bledisloe Club uh, Cup clash against the All Blacks in Melbourne. Unquote. I, for one, am very excited to see how much impact Eddie can make for the Aussies and how much, and you know, just how quickly that actually might happen. Um, 
he won't have a lot of game time before the World Cup kicks off in September. And I love the prospect of seeing how big the differences are comparatively, especially between the impacts of what I'm calling the big three for new coaches in Jones, Borthwick and Gatland. Uh, we're very close to a half a year away and the drama and the buildup has already got me salivating. Okay, my friends, that brings us to a ton of reviews, and we're going to start with the top 14 this week. So we began with Bayonne versus Stéphane That started us off with a beauty, though, once again, the replay was entirely in French. Let's just take a second to, you know, suffice to say, there were multitudes of issues with flow this week, almost all of which centered around the top 14. But you know what? This one was so good, I just watched anyway. And as the clock went red, the teams were deadlocked at 26 before... Bayon kicked a perfect penalty to seal the deal at home. The visiting Parisians stunned the crowd, exploding into song. What a match to kick off this round. Then, Lyon, they kept the home streak alive against Montpellier, downing the visitors by 10, 31-21 in that one. Cast versus La Rochelle saw a first uh, away win of the round. La Rochelle really showing their hosts who was boss in a big 17-32 statement win. Uh, Perpignan versus Poe was next. You know, I went in knowing this one might be a little tough for Poe, but oh my word, I did not expect a 49 to 29 schooling by a team that has been, you know, unconvincing most of the year anyway. Wither now, Poe, you are looking dangerously close to an unpleasant new reality, and y'all better hope that Breve does not make a run. Speaking of which, Rassing 92 versus Breve was actually really, really fun with the visitors, as if listening to me just now, really put in some hard work, had the favored hosts right, uh, you know, toe-to-toe for a nice long while there, but in the end, with Finn Russell chewing gum and riding the bike on the sidelines, it was what we've been expecting but not seeing from, from Rossing all year, a nice, easy home victory, 34-24, to Toulon versus Toulouse, this one, it turned into an absolute beauty, with the visitors scoring a try after a furious back and forth well into the red to secure a losing bonus point, Toulon looked very strong at home. And as always, it was nice to see Chesley Colbe out there, you know, getting some action out wide. What a lightning bolt he is when he's, you know, not injured. Um, not a ton of points, but enough for a win, 17-6 to six, all told. And then Bordeaux-Begler versus Claremont was our final fixture of the round. Uh can I say this was a, a pedantic affair? Is that what we're going to call it? Uh, the Board of Eagles, they took care of business in their backyard, so to speak, and just managed to double up their guests 18 to 9 to close out proceedings for the round in the top 14. Good stuff. Next up, of course, was the Gallagher Premiership, starting off with the Bristol Bears versus the Newcastle Falcons. That was the first match on Friday. In the first half, it was close, if not exciting. In the second, however, things got away from the visitors. Bristol looked on pace to get their largest victory of the season. Their only three wins leading into this were by two, three, and four points, respectively. But today, they more than doubled up their guests. And as the comms said, the crowd here at Ashton Gate have refound their voices. Bears adding an insult to injury try just after the clock had gone red, coming away big winners, 30-12. to 12. Then Gloucester versus Harlequins, that one was also on Friday. It was two tries to one at the break in favor of the Cherry and Whites, whose crowd is always up for it. It really seems like a special place to play. Quote, Johnny May looks full of beans again, unquote, said the comments, which I assume means he was, you know, a bit gassy out there. Uh, despite any potential field flatulence, this one turned into a barn burner. The lead seesawing back and forth en route to a thrilling 28-26 to win for Gloucester. My Harlequins just look kind of out of sorts at the moment, I guess. So Bath versus London Irish is next on the docket. With all the rugby this weekend, this one I pretty much checked just at the end. 
Um, I'll be honest, with the history and beauty of the city of Bath, I always want them to be good, and they really haven't been. Um, you know, more power to their fans who keep showing up week in and week out because that must not be very much fun. Uh, this weekend, they gathered, I believe, f- four yellow cards, including two concurrent ones, on the way to yet another home loss, 10 to 25, having failed to score a point in the entire second half. I do like their kit, though. So, Northampton versus Sale looked potentially more interesting. And since Rafi Quirk was on the bench for Sale, that, that means war! Uh, Saints looked out of their depth for most of the first half until the Sharks got red-carded, which gave them a short-lived spark. When the visitors went down to 13 players, Northampton again took advantage in under 10 minutes to go. They pulled within one, and a monstrous boomer of a 50-22 got them again in great position as the clock rolled past 75 minutes. It was pretty shocking ill-discipline on the part of the visitors all day long. This seems to be more and more of an issue for them. And on the Dingwall try to give Saints their first lead of the night, they put in not one but two late hits with no attempts to wrap. The fight that ensued got the ref's attention for a change, and he went on to <laughs> went to the TMO, confirmed both fouls, and then decided awarding the try was enough for some reason, as the comms called for a double yellow that would have left Sale down to 11 players. What the F was that all about? Um, Dave Ribbons had a heck of a game, potentially saving a go-ahead score at the death, and from 17 points down at halftime, Northampton pulled out a four-point win in an 11-try, 72-point thriller, 38-34. to Wow. So, Leicester Tigers versus Saracens ended up being the game of the week by a lot. Some really fun stuff in the Prem this week. I got to say, even without a slew of England players, it just, I don't know, it felt like a bunch of replacements really grabbed their opportunities full throat. Uh, This one went as down to the wire as it can possibly get. Tigers holding on just barely at Welford Road, handing the Saracens their second loss of the year, 24 to 18. What a good one. So as the table stands right now, there are only three teams I'd say are totally out of contention for the coveted four playoff spots. Um, the top two teams look pretty set in stone. Saracens and Sales uh, Sale, uh, are still on top with 57 and 50 points, while Bristol, Newcastle, and Bath are the only teams in the 20s. In the middle, though, is a massive logjam with only four points separating Northampton, Gloucester, London Irish, Exeter, Harlequins, and Leicester plenty of drama coming your way on that horizon so switching over to the urc munster versus osprey's got us started for the weekend things got out of hand rather quickly um munster they had a try bonus point before halftime for god's sake with osprey's managing just one early penalty you know on the plus side i was very happy to see simon zebo back in action i feel like it's been a long time and it was also nice to see R.G. Snyman in the stands, apparently getting closer to being on the pitch literally inch by inch. Ugh, but I just I can't imagine the mood in the Ospreys locker room at the break. As you would likely expect, they did end up dropping another one, frankly, in embarrassing fashion, this time 58-3 at Thoman Park. Yikes. So Glasgow versus Ulster was played to a sold-out crowd in an absolute downpour with Nathan Macbeth, or as I call him, the Scottish player, getting the start. As it unfolded, points were at a major premium. It wasn't until the 65th minute that Warriors grabbed a lead, Dempsey powering over as the conditions somehow became even worse. Ali Price, man, in off the bench, he provided a huge spark, and after Fraser Brown put down their third mall try of the night, Ulster's goose was well and truly cooked. 
Hey, anyone remember at the start of the season when Ulster were like red hot and looking to contend with Leinster, perhaps? Yeah, that was actually this season. Hard to believe, right? Anyway, John Cooney's penalty at the end did get them a losing bonus point, but at the double whistle, it was 17 to 11 in a deluge. Uh, side note, Jack Dempsey's player of the match interview at the end was incredible. Please check it out if you haven't yet. I officially love that dude. So Lions versus Sharks featured several players with, who, with, uh, with whom I was very much unfamiliar. Not going to lie. In front of a, a bit of a sparse crowd as well. Though, as I've said, it's difficult to get a real sense of it in these cavernous arenas. Uh, both teams seemed unable to get much go forward. They stumbled to a 7-all halftime score, but second half, different story entirely. Sharks absolutely running away with it, just mopping up the Lions 7-29 to by the end. Holy smokes. Bulls versus Stormers was our other South African derby. Quick side note, the number of Bulls jerseys in the crowd was incredible. No, 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 not Vodacom Bulls, Chicago Bulls. I don't know. Somehow, I guess I really appreciate that. I mean, and at least they weren't wearing freaking Yankees caps. Uh, anyway, another side note, this was the first time I had clocked them using that RC car to bring out not just the game ball, but the kicking tee, which somehow cracked me up. Um, that thing is like really fast. Can we place bets on the first time someone's actually going to get taken out by it? Uh, third side note, I keep saying it's hard to get a sense of how many people are on hand for these South African games, but no, not so for this one. The place was fairly jammed with 40,000 plus supporters from both sides, to be fair. The place was absolutely rocking from the start. Anyway, one thing's for sure. These teams don't care if they win pretty. They just want to win. And uh, it seems news of all these new regulations that, you know, designed to try to speed up the game. I don't think they've necessarily trickled down that far just yet. Uh, even so, it did get pretty exciting as it slowly wore on. Stormers up 19 to 20, but giving away a huge possession with under a quarter hour to play. Bulls, they had a final shot knocking on the door with the clock on red, but I don't know. They must have gotten distracted by the stadium DJ who happened to be blaring, we will rock you as they let the ball slip away. A crushing defeat at home to the reigning champs, 19 to 23 at the very end. So Zebre versus Connacht was a really high-scoring affair, which I thought probably would bode well for the home team. Would today, at last, be the day, I wrote. Entering the final quarter of play, it was an incredible 34-38, to 38, very winnable, but alas for their fans. That was when the boys from Galway found a whole extra gear, smashing through three more tries after that, including one with the clock in the red, just destroying their hosts 34-57 to 57 under the pink and purple skies. Scarlets versus Edinburgh was a weird one, but I don't know. For the first half, Edinburgh, Edinburgh looked discombobulated and just unsure what the plan was on attack. On top of which, Charlie Shield spent the entire time asking for support around his kicks and basically just didn't get any. He was raging by the break, and it was 21-7 to at that point. Scarlets looked strangely confident and busted two tries in a row to start the second half. And the ovation Sam Lousy got as he went off was just fantastic. What a player, and more on him later. So a try apiece after that, and it was a massive 42-14 to beatdown of a confused Edinburgh. Things are just not going their way right now. This squad, it was, it was like they haven't met. Strange. Anyway, Cardiff versus Benetton looked like the best hope for any Welsh win on the weekend. But, you know, I was worried for them. Um, there's just there's only so many gut punches you can take in a month, right? <laughs> Quote, one change in the back row, drilled the, uh, drilled the comms. Jane Botham no longer has his appendix, unquote, which ironically had me in stitches. Uh, very cool side note. 
It was one club man, Lloyd Williams, his 256th appearance for Cardiff, which is a staggering number to be sure. Got to say, the comms came out firing next, giving us, quote, Max Llewellyn is departing for an unnamed English club, which is Gloucester, unquote. Guys, I want to watch this game. Would you please stop cracking me up? Sure enough, it was a close one, but a yellow to Benetton allowed the host to go up 23 to 13. And it was the same after a red card and Cardiff got a desperately needed five point bonus point victory, 30 to 13. Leinster. Versus Dragons was our final match of the round. I described it last week as as the matchup between the Sandblaster and the Saltine. I mean, would Leinster field a B-side? Maybe a C or a D-side? I mean, maybe, I don't know, friends of the children of the B-side? Hard to see it making a difference. Uh, but anyway, I was hoping to be very, very wrong about this one. Not that that would be a shock or anything. Uh, so at one point, it was a reasonable score. Dragons trailing just 14-7, to 7, but, you know. The tide, naturally, began to roll in. By the end, the hosts would remain unbeaten with just five fixtures to go in the URC, winning 43-14. to 14. Woof. Okay. And then it was back. MLR, Major League Rugby, has returned. So nice to see here in the United States. You know, I'm going to start us off, obviously, with NOLA versus my beloved Free Jacks, Man, oh man, I can't tell you how great it was to see my actual home team back in action. It, it felt like it had been years since, since I've actually seen them play, though with you know 10 out of 15 starters being completely new faces, that was weirdly true. So we jumped out early, never really looked back, while Nola seemed to keep shooting themselves in the foot with you know silly mistakes, unforced errors, the wind, and I'm sorry, I can't not mention it, some absolutely woeful officiating didn't help anyone's case really but with both teams fitting in multiple new pieces and beginning a whole new campaign i shouldn't have been surprised by the amount of rust on display um there were several bright spots however one being the eagles mullet more grandiose in the swirling winds than ever uh recent guests jason potras looked fantastic as did mitch jacobson and free jack stalwarts like mitch wilson john poland and josh larson they put in amazing shifts out there another standout performance had to go to holden youngert's mutton chops which were worthy of at least i guess like a villain in a dickens book um there were also a ton of audio issues but that wasn't the only problem with communication as the ref and the tmo seemed to be speaking different languages all night long even the comms who were also showing quite a bit of rust lamented what they felt were numerous missed or botched calls but the game was so stop start it, you know it likely all evened out in the wash nola was unable to score in the second half and when John Poland appeared out of nowhere to scoop up the ball and dot it down alone in the corner, the comms officials and fans alike seemed to collectively throw their hands up in the air as if to say, okay, can we end this one, please? Things got a little scrappy, as you'd expect in a walkover, but by the end, it was my guys nabbing a sweet opening night victory, 12-36. to 36. Mike Rogers recently told me New Orleans was the league's most improved team, but perhaps it's all just fool's gold. So the other Friday fixture was, of course, Atlanta versus Toronto, which I'm going to level with you. I didn't catch it. Uh, I was too fired up about my free jacks. Uh, however, the recently rebranded Rattlers took care of business against a depleted Arrows team. And by depleted, I mean all their best players are now free jacks. It was 17 to 10 in the gorilla cage. Next up, of course, was Old Glory DC versus the Daibao of Chicago Hounds. That one, you know... <laughs> Either DC are like much better than we all thought, 
or it's going to take the puppies a little while to grow into those big paws. Um, the home team, they made it look pretty easy in Leesburg, 42 to 27 all told. Then San Diego defeated Utah 33 to 17 and set an all time MLR attendance record in the process. I understand. Very cool. Very good news for them and the league and us, I guess. Um, Seattle hosted the New Jersey What Should We Call Ourselves Next Year's and immediately evoked memories of their glory days in the league's first couple of years, beating the, oh God, do I have to say it? <sighs> beating the reigning champions 25 to 11 at the Starfire. Dallas Jackals versus the Houston Thundercats was our final fixture for round one. I was, of course, rooting for the Jackals on behalf of friend of the pod, the good doctor, Harley Worthy, himself a suffering Welsh and suffering Dallas fan. Woo, double whammy. On top of that, I also talked them up quite a bit in the offseasons. But, you know, so far the changes aren't fully there. Uh, Houston looked strong, as we would expect, and kept Dallas pegged inside their own 22 for what felt like the first half hour of the game. You know, scoring quickly on top of it, and Dallas would just never get a foothold in this one, dropping yet another match, 12-33. to 33. But overall... A lovely start to the new year in MLR. Well, if you thought I had forgotten about the Rugby Europe Championship, that's because I totally almost did. However, we did have the final, I guess, quasi-pool round for that particular tournament. We began with Germany versus Netherlands, and you know what? We finally, I mean, this was a great one. We got the game of the tournament in this one. Germany just letting it slip away. 29-33 to at home, a huge result for the Dutch Spain versus Georgia was next. Spain could only manage three points against an absolutely rolling Georgian side who looked hell-bent for bigger and better things. It was 3-41 to 41 by the end. Poland uh, notched a nice home win against Belgium, 21-15. to 15. Some really great moments to, uh, to build on. The party in that locker room, I mean, that must still be happening, right? Uh, Portugal versus Romania saw the home team get a yeoman-like victory. It was 38-20, to 20 and yeah, 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 Portugal's really good. Why is everyone talking about Portugal? Shut up. Well, this tournament is definitely a, a bit of an odd duck, but you know me, that's kind of my wheelhouse. So after these three rounds, we go to playoff brackets. So there's going to be four teams in what they're calling the grand final bracket, and then the other, they will, the other four teams will be in the ranking finals bracket. So... The former will feature semifinal matches, Georgia versus Romania, the winner of which will face either Portugal or Spain, the other two semifinalists. And then the uh, the winner of Netherlands versus Belgium will face the winner of Poland versus Germany. The losers of these fixtures also face off to settle final and specific rankings. So, you know, who you got? Who's going to win this whole thing? Uh, I mean, it's going to be Georgia, right? Anyway, let me know. I will definitely be posting a poll. Well, my friends, by that music, you will know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Sam Lousy of the Scarlets. Mr. Lousy, you were everywhere for your team on Saturday, making turnovers, creating pressure, making eye-popping offloads, and just generally being a massive nuisance to your hosts. Your unique combination of size, dexterity, length, and incredible rugby intelligent uh, intelligence went a long way towards securing a much-needed victory for your team. Some of the things you did, I honestly don't think I've ever seen before. Sam Lousy, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done, sir.
So that brings us to our updates and previews. And obviously, the Six Nations will be kicking off again for round three, but we'll also have the kickoff of the new Super Rugby Pacific campaign, along with, of course, the new MLR season. Among others, we'll have the, the brutal top 14 season carrying on with round 19, the Premiership's round 18, and we'll have the final two makeup fixtures in the URC. I think we can safely call these fixtures the E. coli Cup. And of course, that'll feature Sharks hosting Ulster and then Lions taking on the streaking Glasgow Warriors. I think 10 in a row for them right now. Unbelievable. Six Nations will start with Italy looking to keep things close against Ireland in Rome. Then if the WRU and the PRB actually get their crap together enough for the meeting tomorrow to go well, it'll be Wales versus England. And finally, Scotland hoping to take the th- uh, things to a whole new level as they visit the Stade de France in Paris to face a very angry French team. Uh, the Premiership will feature Bath hosting Bristol on Friday, Saracens versus Newcastle, Northampton versus Gloucester, and London Irish versus Leicester on Saturday, and we'll finish out with the hot garbage that is an Exeter home game versus Sale on Sunday. The top 14 has its usual 6-1 and one Saturday and Sunday uh, match format. This time, it'll be Stade Francais versus Montpellier, Lyon versus Racing 92, bordeaux Begle versus Perpignan, La Rochelle versus Brieve, Bayonne versus Cast, Toulouse versus Poe, followed by Claremont versus Toulon. And then in the MLR, Friday has a matchup of the cities farthest apart in this competition, with Atlanta traveling the 2,600 plus miles to face Seattle. On Saturday, it's Utah versus Dallas, Houston versus NOLA, and then Sunday. That'll bring us the New Jersey IT paraprofessionals hosting Toronto and San Diego facing my beloved Free Jacks with Chicago and D.C. getting the early bye weeks. And then, as you've noticed, I'm pretty excited. It's back to Super Rugby Pacific. We'll get things started with Crusaders versus Chiefs, Waratahs versus the Brumbies, Moana Pacifica versus the Fijian Drua. Wow, I'm geeked for that one. That's going to be so good. Then it's my Highlanders likely getting smashed by the Blues. Reds versus Hurricanes, and finally, Western Force versus the Rebels. Side note, one of the great things about this competition where I live is every one of these games will be completed and ready for replay literally before the first Six Nations match on Saturday. So great. Well, my friends, that does it for another week I absolutely loved this weekend. It was fantastic. There were some great moments. I might just be overexcited because my Free Jacks got in there and got right back to their winning ways. With all the new pieces on this team, it's going to be it's going to be a tough year for sure at times, but I am here for it either way. Can't wait to see them in person in just a few weeks. Plus, as I may have mentioned, uh, Super Rugby starts this coming weekend, so I am super geeking out. So, as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers, talk to you soon, and of course, be well.